Hello. Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun, fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and at one time, for my braces, I had eight teeth pulled. <sighs> and I'm Jesse, and at one time, I had four teeth pulled. Ouch. We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with our Bibles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes to chat about a theological topic and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. It's fast, God stuff. And today we're talking about how to answer the question, does God exist? Does God exist? How to answer it, how to answer it. Oh man. Glorious. So when humans try to answer the question, does God exist? We actually have to start with a different question. What is the best explanation of what we see around us? And one of these things that scientists see is that the universe appears to be very finely designed for human life. And the thing is, people don't realize it, but all the time we use design language when we talk about our lives and the universe. Even atheists do this. Right. So while today we're going to answer the question, does God exist? Today's starting point is what is the best explanation for the apparent design we see in the universe? So in a previous episode, we had the starting points of what is the best explanation for the existence of the universe and what is the best explanation for good and evil? So please listen to those episodes as well. And lest you think this is all just pointless nerd talk, how you answer this question of design completely impacts how you view yourself and others. Because if you are designed, then there is a designed meaning to your life, design value and design purpose. If you are not designed and are indeed an accident, then you have no designed meaning, value or purpose. So you'll view yourself and others in a completely different way than someone who believes that God is our designer. Let's do it. So I'll hear a lot of times uh, people say things like, we were meant to be together. Right. That begs the question, meant by who? True. Yeah. And that really just implies that there's this higher power that specifically designed these two people to magically come together. But it's, it's even more than that. So when people talk about the biggest question of all, what is the meaning of life? They're ultimately asking the question, why was I designed? What is my meaning? What is my value? What is my purpose? And am I meant to do these good things and not those evil things? And whether or not we think about it, all those things converge in this idea of design. Were things put together for some kind of overwhelming purpose? Right. So these questions about meaning, morality, value, and purpose all presuppose a conscious mind that made these decisions while designing us. True. So we Christians, of course, believe that this conscious mind that designed the universe is God. But on the flip side, if you take out a designer God, you also remove the very basis for meaning, value, purpose, and morality. And the thing is, atheism actually agrees with this point that without design, meaning, value, purpose, and morality can't exist. Right on. And this is why it matters, why it's such an important question. 
if there is no design, then there is no meaning to the universe, which means whatever meaning you pretend to have is meaningless. So it's like saying unicorns don't exist, which means you can pretend to have as many as you want. (laughs) Or money doesn't exist, so have as much as you want. True. So let me quote to you what Richard Dawkins, a very famous atheist, has to say about a universe without design. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, Nothing but pitiless indifference. So atheism admits that without design, there's no purpose or morality. And listen to these two quotes from Lawrence Krauss, another famous atheist, about the lack of design. The illusion of purpose and design is perhaps the most pervasive illusion about nature that science has to confront on a daily basis. Then he goes on to say, one might rationally argue that individual human beings should be free to choose what moral behavior they approve of and which they don't. So because he thinks that there is no design, then he also tosses the idea out of objective morality. And now morality is just an opinion and you can justify any action you want. Right. So that's what the world without design is. There's no meaning. There's no human value. There's no purpose. And there's no objective morality. But the idea of design is so overwhelming that this atheist goes on to say, everywhere we look, it appears that the world was designed so that we could flourish. So to explain what scientists really mean when they say the universe appears to be designed, we turn to our resident expert, Professor Science, PhD, with his show Into the Cosmos. Welcome to our latest episode of Into the Cosmos, where we take a journey, uh, well, into the cosmos. (laughs) Many years ago, Einstein proved that the universe had a beginning around 14 billion years ago. It started with a singularity where all of space, time, and matter were compressed into an infinite point. Now, think of this singularity blowing up into a balloon that must stay inflated to make it to your birthday party. But there are an infinite number of balloons to choose from. Some are made from rubber, some from paper, some plastic, and some from other combinations of materials. Some balloons can't inflate, some deflate too quickly, and others pop. So out of the infinite combination of materials and forces for a balloon, the perfect choices must be made to have an inflated balloon at your birthday party. For example, the force of gravity has to be so exact that if it was stronger or weaker, by the tiniest impossible fraction, the universe would collapse in on itself or expand too rapidly for stars to form. Oh no. This degree is smaller than a trillionth. Where a trillion is a one with 12 zeros after it, the real estimate is it can't vary by over one number increment out of one to the 60th power. That's a one with 60 zeros after it. Try winning a lottery with those odds. Oh no. On top of that, if the expansion rate of the universe were off by an even smaller degree, a one number increment out of one with 120 zeros after it, Again, there would be no stars and no life. Oh, no. 
And even on top of that, if we didn't have the exact ratio of matter and energy to an even more impossible exact degree, one part in ten to the ten to the 123rd power, life could not exist. Oh, no. And that's just three of the many, many arbitrary variables that make up our universe. You would have to win each of these separate lotteries one after another to hit the jackpot of a life-permitting universe. The atheist Stephen Hawking said, The remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. So now we must ask the question, the universe seems designed, so it caused this apparent design. Thank you for joining me on this journey into the cosmos. So atheists can see this point. (laughs) (laughs) So atheists basically know that the chances are impossible. The chances of us getting that lucky to actually have the universe that we got to win this, this lottery is just completely beyond reason. Right. So here's the thing. These are rigorously researched probabilities. Yes. We're again, we're back to mathematics. Mm -hmm. So there's no debate that we're talking about infinitesimally small chances of all this happening the way it has actually happened. Everybody has to contend with that. So this sets up what we're going to go over today. So we're going over today. One of the, the arguments for the existence of God, one of the philosophical arguments. So what a formal argument does is we start with something that we can agree is a fact and we use logic to arrive at some conclusion, right? So the design argument is typically the third argument for the existence of God that theists use. The first argument is the cause and effect argument, typically called the cosmological argument. Second is the morality argument. And we go over those arguments in other episodes in depth. So please check those out. But to briefly recap those two arguments here, because we might reference them in this episode, the cause and effect argument generally says... It's a generally accepted fact that the universe had a beginning, which means that the universe of this space, time, and matter is an effect. So logically, there must eventually be a first cause that is spaceless, timeless, matterless, self-existent, as well as conscious if it's not just going to sit there not doing anything. And of course, we call this cause with these properties God. Right on. Now, the moral argument starts with, it is a fact that good and evil exist. And since facts exist beyond human opinion, These moral laws must have been written by something that is above human thought. So something above humans must have written this moral law for us to abide by, and we call the writer of this moral law God. So this brings us to our starting point today, which is theists and atheists agree that the universe seems to be designed and finely tuned for our existence. So how do we explain that? So let's think about how we consider design in just our normal everyday lives. Okay. How intuitive and natural it is for think of it this way. Mm-hmm. So Conrad, imagine that you're walking alone in the woods. Okay. Uh, and- alone? <laughs> hey, am I safe? No, this is a dangerous wood. Vanguard <laughs> oh, forest. And you come across this rock, big rock. Okay. And Sounds on good. the rock is a plate. Okay. And on the plate is the most beautiful looking chalupa Chalupa. (laughs) you have ever seen. 
Okay, I don't know what a chalupa, chalupa is. So I, well, I, the well, first chalupa that I see will be the most beautiful one. <laughs> well, you know, that, that doesn't make sense. I might have seen a beautiful chalupa before, but I just, I don't know the differences between well, the me, Mexican food. Let me put this into your mind then. Okay. Let me describe this glorious chalupa you're looking at. Okay. So it's like a taco. It's got this okay. thin, perfectly fried, crispy crust. Oh, fried. I like that. And then oh, yeah. within it is this beautiful ground beef, juicy, succulent, mm. well-seasoned. And on top of that, this shredded, cascading, half-melted cheese. Oh, I like that. I know you like some cheese. <laughs> I like coming to this, these woods. <laughs> what kind of woods is this? <laughs> the Chalupa Forest. Did this happen to you one time? <laughs> I wish this happened to me. And then on top of the cheese, we're not done yet. Top of the cheese oh, okay. you've got really? salsa not too spicy just right oh, cilantro crispy lettuce mm. tomato now here's the important question you're eyeing up this beautiful chalupa mm -hmm. you go over to it still warm okay what's the first thing that you think when you see this thing um who left it out here and <laughs> can i steal it from them <laughs> <laughs> exactly right because probably the last thing you think is Oh, well, this chalupa came about from the forest because it formed by time plus matter plus chance and it just grew out of the rock. Or things just randomly fell into place to form the chalupa. Right, exactly, right? So that's the funny thing is we wouldn't normally think that it's just the product of random formation. Mm -hmm. So after you're inspecting this chalupa with all its intricate parts, right? Because we have all these amazing components that have yeah. come together. We would deduce that it probably was created by somebody. somebody oh, yeah cooked it i was gonna say birthed it somebody yeah. cooked it <laughs> we wouldn't want that and put it there on the rock because if it were me and i was walking in and i came across it i would immediately be like turning around looking like who else is in these right. scary woods with me and yet what we're talking about here that's obviously funny is it's a taco yeah and yet the taco has some matter of design and complexity right and if you think something as small as a taco needs a designer how much more design is needed for the entire universe with all its space, time, matter, and physics that inhabit it. Right on. And so what this whole thing is about is an argument called the teleological argument or the argument by design. Okay. So it's this idea that there exists so much intricate detail in design that purpose in the world must suppose that there is a creator. Mm -hmm. So all of the sophistication and incredible detail we observe in nature could not have occurred by chance, just like it's unlikely that you're going to come across a chalupa in the woods that would have just popped out of thin air. Right. Or formed from the rock. Yeah. And so that's, it's, it's just not uncommon for humans to find themselves with the intuition that random, unplanned, unexplained accidents just couldn't produce the kind of order, beauty, elegance, and seeming purpose that we experience in the natural world around us. Right. And if that's true for something small like a chalupa, then how much more true is it for something that's grandiose like the entire world and natural order that we live in? Right. And atheists are forced to say that everything fell into place by chance to make these impossible conditions for sentient life. So it's a bit like saying, well, a dictionary is unlikely to be created by an explosion in a printing press or that a 747 airliner can be created by a tornado blowing through a junkyard. Right. We realize these things are basic improbabilities and impossibilities. Yeah. And so that leads us almost intuitively to acknowledge that there is intricate design. And then that must mean we must also posit that there is a designer behind it. Right. This is a really well-known historical argument mm -hmm. for God. And it's called, like we said, the theological view. Telos just means it's a fancy term for goal or purpose. Okay. So here are the major premises of this theological argument. Okay. It starts with the idea that human artifacts like chalupas are the products of intelligent design. They have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And the purpose of a chalupa is to be 
delicious. delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so the universe resembles these human artifacts in the sense that there's also an amazing amount of design and everything from the blade of grass to a mosquito. Therefore, it is probable that the universe is a product of intelligent design and therefore has a purpose. Right. But the universe is vastly more complex and gigantic than a human artifact is. Therefore, there is a powerful and vastly intelligent designer who created the universe. Right. Oftentimes we think of something like the human eye. Mm -hmm. And this is a great example of design because in order for it to work, there must be many different convergent parts that individually have no function, but have value only in a designed whole. Right. It's only in the combined total that they exhibit their total function. And that's function by design. Right. And the design problem gets even more difficult under atheism, ironically, because of the recent advancements in science. Because even before you can consider the design of an eye, you have to consider the design of life itself and then the design of the universe to support that life. Right. And here's the big question. Why did we get the one exact universe we did? One that can actually support life. So because of modern physics, we know that our universe could have turned out differently in an infinite number of combinations. And with how delicate life is, there are infinitely more types of universes that would be hostile to life than types of universes that can support life. That's why, as in the quotes we heard earlier from atheistic scientists, they admit that chances for a life-permitting universe are so remote that the universe appears fine-tuned for life, right. and therefore we must figure out why the universe has this apparent design. Okay, so here then is a simple formulation of the design argument based on the fine-tuning of the universe. All right, let's hear it. One, the fine-tuning of the universe is due to either chance or design. Okay. Two, it is not due to chance because A, the probabilities are beyond reason, and B, chance has no causal powers. So three, therefore, it is due to design. Right. So let's, let's ask the question, why can't the design we see be due to chance? So there's two ways to address this. The first way is actually a causality thing. When people talk about chance, the universe being created by chance or things turning out by chance, the mistake that they are making is that they are giving chance causal powers. Like chance isn't a thing. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't think about things. Chance is a mathematical probability. Yes. So this is a bit like knowing that when you flip a coin, exactly, you have 50% of the time you're going to get heads, 50% of the time you're going to get tails. Right. But the probability doesn't flip the coin. Yeah. You need to flip the coin or somebody else that has like opposable thumbs needs exactly. to flip that thing. Yeah. So to have the probability, you have to have the coin and somebody to flip it amongst other things like space and time and gravity and stuff like that. So that's the difference between chance and causality. Right on. And boom, we're done. The argument is done. It's not by chance. It's due to design. Case closed. Atheism is defeated here. The apparent design in the universe can't be due to chance because chance is a probability and a probability can't do anything. So you must assume a designer. Right. But because... People don't realize that there's that distinction that chance is just a possibility, a probability. They accept this thing that a probability can make something. So let's see where this absurd logic will go, that a probability can make something. So first, they have to ma make the mistake of giving probability, chance, causal powers. 
which really should end the debate right there. But since they don't know that they're making that mistake, they move on to tackle the problem of the impossible probabilities that we have to get the universe that we did. So because there's infinitely small probability, you just have to give yourselves an infinite amount of chances to win the lottery. Ah, so just more lotteries. Yes. So that's when they introduce this theory of the multiverse. Ooh, that sounds fancy. So for those of you who don't know what a multiverse is, the multiverse is this idea that our universe isn't the only universe out there, but there are an infinite number of universes out there, all with differing properties than our own. So now this is assuming that there is this multiverse generator out there. So this begs the question, though, where did the multiverse generator, the machine cranking out universes, where did it come from? Exactly. Yeah. And what powers it? And what universe does this multiverse generator exist in as well? (laughs) And so not only does this multiverse universe, this multiverse generator, if it exists, that has to be finely tuned. True. But then the universe that this multiverse universe generator has to exist and has to be finely tuned as well. And even if you make up some inflationary multiverse model, you still haven't answered the question, well, what caused the multiverse to come into being to begin with and what got it started? Right. So all you've done with a multiverse is just passed the causality problem up one level. Right. And the big thing is the multiverse isn't science because science only deals with what is observable, testable, repeatable, and verifiable. And by definition, anything outside our universe isn't observable. So the multiverse is outside the realm of science. So yes, you'll hear scientists talking about the universe, but now they're not talking science, they're talking science fiction. And the irony, of course, here is that by presenting this as the solution, it just brings more problems and more questions into play. And that's why I believe that this design question really is ultimately a causality question, a cause and effect question, because fine, let's say the, the multiverse exists. Well, you still have to ask what caused the multiverse, and then you still have to rewind back to a first cause. So you have to end up at a first cause that in, that exists in and of itself and independent of things that had a beginning, like space, time, and matter, which means that this first cause must be spaceless, timeless, and matterless, but it had to have wanted to do something and not just sit there, which, which also means that this first cause is conscious. And of course, what we would call this first cause with all these properties is God. There are simply no other viable solutions to the cause of the universe that anyone has ever proposed that makes more logical sense than a transcendent God. So this isn't a faith versus science thing. Exactly. Because science does help us explain how the world works. Mm -hmm. But the success of science sometimes leads people to think that because we can understand the mechanisms of the universe, then we can safely conclude that there is no God who designed and created the universe in the first place. Right. Like, sometimes the things our smartphones can do just seem like magic, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, just amazing piece of technology. Yeah. And yet, if we take it apart, we can see the circuitry. We can even look at the programs in the apps themselves. And we can confuse ourselves with thinking, well, because now I understand how the smartphone works, there's no need to think about somebody who actually created it. Right. And what you just explained is the classic objection to the existence of God. And this objection is called the God of the gaps. So... Basically, it goes, we used to have a gap in our understanding of science. Like, we didn't know where lightning came from, so let's insert God to fill in our gap of our ignorance. But now we know better, lightning is electricity and all that, therefore we don't need God to explain lightning. So the aim of that argument ultimately says, well, people used to be wrong about stuff, so God doesn't exist. (laughs) It's a ridiculous objection in its usage, in its conclusion. 
but you'll see debater after debater bringing the God of the Gaps objection up. So people don't know where lightning came from, so then they met up Thor. But now we know that it's electricity, so therefore the universe doesn't need a cause. Right. It's two totally different questions. What are the physics behind lightning, and what is the cause of the universe? And just because you don't need God to answer one question doesn't mean he's not the answer to a completely different question. And that question that atheists still have to answer is, what caused the universe? Why does the universe exist? And this is a question that atheists themselves admit they don't have the answers to, so they come up with answers like the multiverse. Or you end up with all these kind of absurdities because you refuse to acknowledge that God exists. Mm -hmm. So Francis Crick and James Watson both were the dudes that discovered DNA, right? The basic building blocks of life. They won a Nobel Prize. We're talking about really smart dudes here. And they discovered that what looked like in DNA was this complete sense of order. There was design everywhere. In fact, biologist Richard Dawkins, who you've already quoted from, said that the machine code of the genes is uncannily computer-like. And Bill Gates even said of DNA, it is a computer program, but by far, far more advanced than any software we ever have created. And yet when these guys looked at it, because they did not want to believe in God, because they were avowed atheists, Crick actually proposed in a book called Life Itself that the reason for DNA, why it looked the way it was, why it seemed like it was so full of design was because it was from some primordial life that came on spaceships from spores of aliens. The only logical explanation, aliens. So, and the thing is, all they've done is kick the causality can up one level. Right. And if humans were caused by aliens, well, what caused those aliens? You eventually have to get to a first cause that is uncaused and exists in and of itself. If only God had addressed this type of situation in the scriptures. Well, if only. If only. Oh, wait, he did. <laughs> oh, he did. Great. So in Romans 1, <laughs> verses 19 and 20, we find this. For what can be known about God is plain to them. That's everyone. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Exactly. Now notice the Bible says creation is the evidence of both his eternal power and divine nature. So we're not talking about blind faith versus reason. Creation is the philosophical evidence for God. And Paul goes on to explain to us what happens when we don't get that right and Mm -hmm. refuse to believe in God. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Thus, multiverse and aliens. Exactly. So Jesse, after we've gone over all this design stuff, what is its application? Well, it's clear that everywhere we look, we see the design. So we ought to thank God for the design, celebrate the design, acknowledge him as the designer. And then everywhere as well, where we hear design language, we can use that as an intro or a point of entry into explaining that God is the designer. Even for something like music, which we both love, Mm -hmm. it's noise by design. Even there is a testimony that God is the agent and the first cause of all creation. Right. And also just go beyond like the actual physical creation, but the creation also has meaning. So God created us. He designed us. But that means that we actually have value because God designed us intentionally. Exactly. And for humans, he designed us special over the rest of creation. He created us in the image of God. So that is another thing. We can find meaning, value, and purpose 
because God designed us intentionally. And we see that value that God gives us in this, that while we were still his enemies, while we were sinners and rebelled against him, he sent his very own son, Jesus Christ, to come and redeem us, to live a perfect life under the law, to die on the cross and to be risen again because he loved us and he valued us. Right. So let's sum up this episode. The obvious design in this universe, from physics all the way down to a baby, points to a designer to both cause these things to come into being and to design them for a purpose. So only with a designer can we have factual meaning, value, and purpose. And without a designer, it is left to an individual to fabricate, to pretend that they have their own meaning, which according to prominent atheists isn't really meaning at all, but an illusion since one's opinion has no causal relationship to reality and because one's supposed meaning changes constantly right along with their changing opinion. However, as a Christian, even when your opinion of yourself is at its lowest, you can still know the fact that you have great value because Christ died for you out of love. And he did this so you can fulfill your God-designed purpose, which is to love God, love others. That's it. That's all the cosmos we have time for today, Conrad. Tell a friend about this episode and remember to subscribe to the Fast God Stuff podcast. Fast God Stuff is a proud member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. And please check out fastgodstuff.com for all kinds of content that will help you find a chalupa in the woods. Until next time, love God, love others. That's it. Where's my balloon?